Hello, and welcome to the So Emotional Podcast. Here on the cast, we discuss everything emotions through the lens of attachment, the nervous system, and internal parts work. We're a little irreverent and like to have fun exploring the emotional issues and dynamics that interest us. So come along and hang out. Let's explore the fascinating lands of emotions. Hello, and welcome to the So Emotional Podcast. My name is Nick Carl, and I'm here with my co-host, Angela Wetzel. Hello, Angela. Hello. Cool. Nice to see you. Yeah. Likewise. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about being triggered by your own emotions. Yeah, it's definitely one of the topics, but an important topic. And I've, I've noticed this comes up a lot. I think every single client I've ever had has this issue and it's very near and dear to my heart because it's something that I definitely went through, which is why I coach people that have the same issues. And I think it's a really tricky layered thing because our emotions are supposed to be guidance for us. They're, they're messengers are supposed to be there to assist us, to let us know just how we feel about certain things, what our values are, what our boundaries are. Just, they let us know literally where we are in space and time and our desires and our needs. There's so many things that they point to about who we are as people. And unfortunately what can happen through intentional, unintentional abuse, emotional abuse is a shaming of emotions, shaming, rejection, abandonment, around emotions and that happens over time so it becomes complex trauma it's just compounded over and over and over again and then it's ingrained it can become ingrained in your nervous system that the second you have a negative emotion of any kind or any emotion that was rejected or punished or not allowed then suddenly like that becomes the trigger and so it can be incredibly challenging, incredibly difficult to navigate healing that because every, every other part of you, when you feel that negative emotion, we can have other um, critic parts or other protector parts that will do everything they can to keep you from feeling that stuff because they don't want the past to repeat itself. And then there can be a lot of complicated feelings that come up. So then we become triggered from our triggers and then it can be almost this like you know um descent into hell (laughs) utter hell and um i've seen this be really really complicated and it, it breaks my heart because in in some situations i've seen um there be like family situations where a one person is scapegoated There might be one person that's literally expressing all of the unfelt emotions for everyone. They're very sensitive. They pick up on everything and they're the ones that are just, they're feeling everything and expressing and then they're demonized and scapegoated for it. And they're known as the unreliable one, or they're so emotional or they're too much or they're too this. Meanwhile, they're one of the only people that's actually in touch with the pulse of what's happening in the family. Mm-hmm. They're expressing it and it's in everyone else's shadow. And so due to their projection, 
how they would shame it internally, they simply shame it externally and they get to project all of their hatred and rejection and, and demonization onto this person and make them wrong or, or bad. And in some situations there's, um, you know, the threat of that person. I mean, actually I, I know too many stories about this, but it's even sometimes where it's like the parents will take that child to the therapist as if it's that child only, right. or this, this person becomes institutionalized and, and they're the problem. Mm-hmm. And that can be so very, very, very damaging. And it's quite a challenge to heal from some of those things. So I just wanted to open and preface with that. Right. So let's, uh, step back, I think, just into the very first, the initial thing, right? So here I am, do-do-do, walking down the street or hanging out with somebody. And then the, like the first mover, the initial impetus will be what we consider as a trigger, right? So it's, it's something that's either, it's an energy via like a conversation or a or a social situation or some kind of thing that'll happen that will remind your nervous system or your brain, you know, it's kind of what comes first, the emotion or the thought about something that previously has damaged you, like, or has put you in a spot to be hurt, right? Right. Like something you never, you weren't ever able to resolve. It just like pushes your button. So here that thing comes and it happens what we're trying to describe is there will be an initial like kernel to the thing that happens, but because there has never been uh, a safe place to actually uh, experience work through and get support for, and then healing for the initial thing, because that has never existed Mm. very quickly at lightning speed. Yes. Like, in an instant, the initial thing will be swept away. And then another, so we're going to like, we're going to frame this in parts work, right? And so we'll, we'll talk about, we will sort of like refer to that initial thing as a, like as a part or a piece that has that, uh, that has that consciousness of that wounding, right? Yeah. The thing that had the initial feeling. Get it swept away to keep it safe by another thing, and this other thing is usually the part. And there can be stinks because there can be many of these. There can be I call it parts con, like a parts convention, right? (laughs) But the initial one usually is so vulnerable, right? And usually is so delicate that Mm -hmm. it can't, it can't, it can't be held in any kind of place that's unsafe at all. And so it's quickly whisked away out of consciousness so that you don't really even get, a, uh, often it's not, you don't even get a sniff of it, especially when you're new at like trying to piece together the work, right? Right. You won't, you won't yeah. be able to, and some people can, I'm not saying that, it, that it's for everybody or happens the same way every time, but it's very common that the thing that usually kicks off this interaction isn't known, right? And it gets swept down very quickly. Right. What comes up next is another part, right? And this is usually 
something that has more st- is more stable and usually rooted in some different kinds of emotions, not usually the same uh, vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. And those, I don't know, what are some of the characteristics or some of the like the secondary parts or pieces that come up? Um, I've seen these to be, um, you know, sometimes more critical, um, in some ways they seem to be more avoidant where it's like, oh, cut that shit out. Cause it's, it's almost like an internalized voice of the treatment that they received. And so Mm -hmm. then they become their own internal editor, internal critic of those emotions. So if, if they keep those emotions down, then they're safe. Right. So the emotion's still happening. Yeah. But this part's like, cut that shit out right now. Right. You know, we don't have time for that, whatever it is, whatever the, the script is. Right. I know that for a long time, and this still happens, I still get caught in this opposition that when strong emotions come up in me, it seems very like across the board. It doesn't seem like a singular part. Maybe that it is. But there is just opposition to strong emotions just like it's just Mm -hmm. like an across the board just like trying to turn away just like make it go away right just like don't want to feel it Mm -hmm. right which is a very visceral and deep like rejection to the thing that is happening right and that that space (laughs) i mean i was in that i was in and still get into that space often all the time right Mm-hmm. Like it, it is taken, I would, I would say that is even more often than the times that I can say that whatever I'm feeling, that it's actually okay. Let's listen. Let's be with this, this part that's, that's hurting, you know, let's get to mm-hmm. know it more. Let's like, let's bring it in. Let's accept it. Let's hold it. Right. Mm-hmm. Forever and ever and ever my, for my whole life. That's like just the practice thing is always just like this turning away this total rejection of the thing, don't even want to see it or feel it or know it at all as mm-hmm. it's freaking out and pressing down upon me, you know? But that that turn is so, is like so like fundamental to like how my inner system worked, you know? Um, it was hard for me to contextualize what that even meant, like, you know, that an emotion could be triggering, triggering in itself, you know? It, Seemed, mm-hmm. the, the syntax seemed a little bit wrong. I was like, it, it doesn't make sense, you know, mm-hmm. until I started to have, started to have experiences of myself um, being more loving to whatever came up. Like even the sensation of being loving to uh, my anger, my rage, my vulnerability, my sorrow, you know, uh, because there was always some kind of war in that, that that always got pushed away, always, without without exception, you know? Yeah. That being able to soften to something, like any kind of feeling inside, was like just the beginning of of not having that opposition, you know? And I, to me, in my inner system, that's how the way that that was set up, the way that the inner world was set up where the things would come and end, there was just a hard turn away from it. That's my form of like being triggered by Mm. uh, an emotion that comes up. 
Right. Yeah. Because sometimes it's not, it's not even necessarily like an event or like sometimes you can have spontaneous emotion happen and, and, and you can also have something that happens that you're really not aware of what it is, but suddenly you're aware of negative emotion. Mm -hmm. And then instead of turning towards that emotion and just being like, welcome, (laughs) welcome visitor. Like, hi, you're here. Like what information do you have for me? If we never had it modeled that when we had really difficult, challenging emotions, or we had it modeled so, so very little, then when we have this kind of thing happen, we might think, oh, I need to handle this on my own somehow, or it's too shameful to be expressed or shared, or it's too much for anyone to handle. So I must push this down. Like no one else can deal with this and I have to fall on the grenade Mm -hmm. and it's such a painful and isolating place to be because we're we've actually learned how to abandon and reject ourselves and um one of the sad I just think it's so sad when I think about it because as infants we we need a, a regulated regulated adult to help us just emotionally regulate because Mm -hmm. these emotions are so very chaotic and feel, you know, feelings are very intense and we need, we need another nervous system to help us regulate. And in the absence of that, we literally have no idea how to calm our system down, how to stay with it how to feel a presence that's bigger than us saying, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You are okay. I'm here no matter what. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us just didn't get that experience or had even more complicated experiences since the, those emotions cause triggers in our parents or caretakers. And then they subconsciously enacted ways that they were abused or, how they push their own emotions away. And then that creates a really painful cycle or legacy of ignoring and cutting emotions off. So it makes sense that a lot of people just go numb, dissociate, don't know how to deal with, don't handle, don't talk about emotions. And when it comes to being able to deal with them ourselves, there's just no language for it. And they are a language of their own. They're, they don't, necessarily play by logical rules or reason they just are they exist one of the fantastic practices that i did with my guy in somatic experiencing right was (laughs) he asked me some tough questions like you know he asked me about like all of the negative emotion things that i thought about him right Mm. okay and then I actually, when I had a laundry list, because I always make a laundry list of things I don't like about a person or to keep myself safe, right? And it was very much triggering to bring that inside stuff, you know, because I'm always jumping on the gray and keeping myself safe, you know, doing all my own regulating, right? Mm-hmm. To then bring those out into the real world for somebody to actually hear like process that and then it was just like it was all still safe right Mm -hmm. so the power of co-regulation it's like 
if you have somebody like safe safely enough to like you know watch watch your watch all your things happen on the inside watch how you keep yourself safe and then still be right there with you is extremely powerful right mm-hmm. because it's it just is like it just goes back to what you said it's like you 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 need somebody else and in the absence of somebody else to sort of uh like get a baseline off of you know there's there's only your own nervous system to to go off of right and a lot of those a lot of those uh preconceived notions are these like we can't allow any of this to happen right it's like we have to keep everybody inside you know you can't be vulnerable because there isn't anybody else you know nobody's coming nobody's coming and that was one of the things like when i started to get into my work it was that mantra right i remember what it was it was just that nobody is ever coming right nobody's ever coming i have to deal with everything alone right life is only a grind that's it that's all life is i imagine american history x i imagine teeth on a fucking curb that's what i thought about that's like how it felt right life is just a grind you grind your teeth and then you die and that's all that there is right mm-hmm. so until you can open up like for me I'm not saying that everybody has to do this, right? But it was just, this was how grounding it was. So it's like, somebody asked me to share what's happening on the inside, how how I actually think and how I actually feel about somebody else, right? And then I, <laughs> normally I would, would have never done that. I would just never have like shared what was actually happening on the inside. But I was just like, all right, fuck it, I'll do it, you know? And it was fucking terrifying, right? What was your fear? What was the fear in that? Like, if you did that, that he's going to use it on me later, right? Mm. That those words then come out have come out of my mouth and then forever can't be taken back. Because I feel like I have done that, like in personal relationships. You know, I've gotten so fucking pissed and then like just scream shit, right? And then nothing is ever the same. You know, mm. like rupture, complete relationship rupture with no yeah. repair because the thing had been said and it's like right they're they're so hurt by it they're so yeah but they're 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 triggered but what he's asking me to do is he's Mm -hmm. asking me to make a jump he's like no what do you got in there i want to know what's in there right for the co-regulation and then the regulation ends up being the ground right Mm -hmm. because of course he knew that all that is just a just a mechanism to keep space, right? To keep space between us, to keep me safe, right? Yeah. And uh, like it, like it was a little bit at first, you know. It was just like, oh, but goddamn, did I feel relieved after that, you know? And like, and I didn't feel a bunch of shame for saying those things, you know. Like he did a good job of like just accepting it, right? And just being like rock solid. And he always said it all the time, like, you know. You can't say anything. And he was good in that way. Like, you can't say anything to, like, budge me off this place, right? Which was, like, right here, steady, like, accepting, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, you know, that's what I imagine is, like, that. that's the type of energy that you would love to have in a parent, right? Just, yeah. like, a steady gaze, steady hand. I just love you. 
absolutely unconditionally. It yeah. doesn't like I want the best for you, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. And it's in that it's in that I, I feel like there's a deep call in that, right? In the co-regulation, there's a deep call to say like, hey, here on this planet in this time, this place is is good and it's safe, and you mm -hmm. can come into this space here, right? Right. And, and in this exchange, there's there's goodness and there's safety. You know, you don't have to be scheming all the time in the back of your head to just like you know be angling. You know. Yeah, strategizing. Right. And it's like being accepted for the the stormy raging sea mm -hmm. and having and realizing that you have a container that's as vast as the shore right and it's stable and solid yeah. and i think what so many of us get is like we're the the stormy sea and what we get is like uh like one of those little um you know those <laughs> i don't know why i'm thinking of this image but you know those little like astroturf like um, things that people put on their patio so their dogs can like take a shit. <laughs> okay. It's like a little like a little astroturf like plot of uh, you know land. It's like sometimes the emotional equivalent. What we get in our caretakers is like a little astroturf, hoopy plot, <laughs> for right. pets when when um, empowered masculine and feminine energy like integrated is just like this vast is a shore that is capable of holding the entire ocean and it's like what else you got so i'm gonna i'm gonna read this thing but this comes from this little pdf i reference this thing all is the time the six the six things yeah so this guy's name is adam young so it's adamyoungcounseling.com and it's He's got a podcast too. It's fantastic, but he made up this little PDF and it's just uh, the big six and it's called, what is it? What every child needs from their parents, right? And number five is strong enough to handle your negative emotions, right? Yeah. And it's did your parents welcome your anger, your sadness and fear? As a child, you needed to be free to express negative emotions, to cry, rage, and to fall silent knowing that you would be responded to in a loving and meaningful way you needed to know deep down that your emotions were accepted and allowed it makes me want to put it on someone's fridge that i know yeah <laughs> and i want to say it but i'm not going to say it because you know but i but i think about the environment that i grew up in and none of that exists right which sets us up for this you know this uh this dynamic that's happening right so it's like you have this kernel of seed that's happened and it's triggered us and triggered us in this way and there isn't this environment that like said that hey being here in connection in openness you know you'll be taken care of you'll you're you'll be you'll be supported right so what are some okay so i think about one of the strategies it was one of the words, and it, it still helps, but it's hard to remember, which is always curiosity, right? We mm -hmm. say, it, say it all the time, right? So the yeah. two big words is like curiosity and compassion. Mm -hmm. So it's like I think that the way into these things, once we sort of get stuck or just we, or we just start to notice where we are, right? It's just about yeah. trying to turn into them with curiosity 
instead of being kind of stuck between like these hard polarities you know, where you feel stuck against a wall like fighting something or pushing on something you know right or even feeling like that irritated parent like what is it now again yeah. again Ugh. we're doing this shit again oh yeah why, why? oh you're not over this yet right it's like yeah. very um not not helpful and i jesus dude yeah i want you to read the other ones on the list because i feel like they're important. You want to do it? I don't. Okay. The big yeah, six. The big six. Mm -hmm. Adam Young counseling. What every, <laughs> what every child needs from their parents, number one, is attunement. Were your parents so attuned to you that they knew what you were feeling? A parent that is distracted by their own needs, wants, emotions, and personal pain cannot be attuned to a child's needs. Mm -hmm. Right? So I think about my childhood, right? Mm -hmm. And it, so that's what happens, right? Big family, yeah. it gets turned around. And so mom's emotions become like the wagon wheel, right? And us kids, Everything. the spokes are yeah. just on the outside, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. Her pain, her needs. It's that's like, right. I think a lot of parents in that generation and you know, they didn't have like the same resources that, that we do now. And of course, like even therapy, there's still some stigma around it and not everyone gets it, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, th then the idea that you just had children and you had a bunch of them and your kids are there to love you. Yeah. <laughs> You're they're there to love you. And, and they should thank, you know, thank their lucky stars that, you push the, you know, the mom pushed them out of her vagina and that, you know, you're so, you should be grateful that you're here. You got three squares in a roof, didn't you? Yeah. It's like, yeah. And then with the guilting stories of you had it so much better than I did. So, and it's like, this child is like, I have no idea how you had it at all. And I don't know any different, but still, you know, that things that's happening and, and the parents are actually the children and the children become the parents and, I see a lot of that, you know. Number two, responsiveness. When you were distressed, that's mad, sad, and afraid, did your parents respond to you? Did they offer comfort, care, and kindness? In other words, was she able to soothe you when you're anxious and scared and stimulate you when you were shutting down? I was told that I could feel my anger, but I couldn't feel it in the presence of everyone, I was told that I could go into my room and scream into a pillow. And that was where I was acceptable. Hmm. But anywhere else. pillow in your room. It was not. Yeah. There's a little bit extra to this. It says, as an infant, as an infant, you had absolutely no ability to regulate your own arousal. However, if your mother was able to regulate your arousal, then she enabled you to learn how to regulate your own arousal to calm your own anxiety and spring to life again when you were going numb. A child cannot regulate his or her own arousal. The child is utterly dependent on their mother's ability to regulate it for them. Yes. Oh, yeah. To the point that I said earlier, and just to define arousal for people, because using that in a sentence sometimes can sound weird. It's really just your nervous system becoming aroused. Like, 
dysregulated, emotional blood pressure, emotional blood pressure. They it's referred to as arousal, which can, which is usually conflated with sexual arousal, different kinds of arousal. Number three, engagement. Did your parents have an internal intention and genuine desire to know you, to know your heart? Were they willing and able to engage with you on that level? Were you pursued by your parents? Interesting. I would say a lot of people, probably not. Yeah. Number four, ability, ability to regulate your arousal. I, I think I kind of screwed this up, actually. The way that this PDF is cut, it goes, and I read the wrong direction. Oh, okay. I apologize. Anyway, four. So I did screw it up. I apologize. Fired. <laughs> four. <laughs> ability to regulate arousal. Arousal refers to the body sensation, uh, sensations you feel inside of you during moments of distress. If your mother was attuned enough to you and willing to respond to you and engage with you, then she was able to effectively regulate your arousal. Mm. Right. Number five was stra- strong enough to handle your negative emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Which we mm-hmm. talked about. And then the sixth and last one and the big six is willingness to your, to repair. When your parents hurt you, did they own and reflect the harm that they had done? A healthy, trusting attachment is not built on the absence of failure, but on the willingness of the parent to own and rectify failures when they occur. No parent gets it 100% of the time. Parents get tired, distracted, and frustrated. They get stressed out trying to do 100 things at once. There are times even when the best parents are not attuned and responsive. The parent-child connection ruptures frequently. But the mark of a good enough caregiver is that the ruptures are repaired through a process of reattunement and reengagement with the child. What matters to you as a child was not that your parent got it right each time, but that they recognized when they missed you or hurt you and responded in a way that brought comfort and reconnection. Yeah. If, if your parents were attuned to you, responsive to your needs, engaged with your heart, able to regulate your arousal, strong enough to handle your negative emotions, and willing to repair failures, then the result was a secure attachment. Yeah. If your relationship with your parents was not marked by these things, then you likely developed an insecure attachment which means that you have experienced some measure of abandonment, betrayal, and powerlessness. Amen. That is really good. That is really good. And what we really have here is a map that we can use when we're getting in touch with our own parts, our own inner children, Hmm. how to pursue ourselves and, and make repairs when we lack accountability or, you know, make mistakes with ourselves, which is, will is definitely going to happen at some point, you know, it's like using all of those things with ourselves and in relationship would be a great map for secure attachment. Yeah. And I think that you could, you could just take this, these six points and think about, okay, when I run into my own triggers, right? when I run into my own insecurities, when I run into my own like sensitive parts, 
You know, it's like attunement. Oh, I need I need to pay attention to these things. I have to make these oh. things important, right? Oh, I'm feeling something. Yeah. It's not pleasant. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Right? Responsiveness. Like, I, like, you know, it kind of goes with attunement. Like, you have to listen and, like, take information from them, you know? Oh, this place, this situa situation isn't safe. Or I'm having, like, a, a giant, like, <laughs> you know, I'm shitting on myself really hard or something, you know? It's right. Like, I need to be responsive in this situation and, and do something about it, you know? Or I'm being told that the situation isn't safe based on past things, but I know that something's going on and I'm able to understand what the deeper need is to confront the fear of the unknown or the fear of that thing happening again. Right. By discerning. It goes into engagement. So this is like knowing the inner heart of your, the parent knowing the inner heart of the child. And yeah, us getting to know our parts, all our facets. So when I imagine like, like having my own child or something like that, I, there is like a, a very visceral feeling of like care when I like, uh, when I think about like, if I had a dog or something, you know, or, or like a small child, you know, like I can connect with those really strong feelings of uh, caretaking, right? Mm -hmm. um, it is tougher for me at least you know just in my strictly emotional landscape when i'm with working with my mind and these like strong emotional pieces to bring some of that heart in there right mm. there's probably some tricks i could try to do you know like i've imagined myself as like a little kid or like tried to like put an age on it and put myself in a mind scenario to like meet up with that person which is something you do a lot in parts work anyway you know mm. you try to sort of suss out the age of the of the of the child right mm -hmm. and i think that it is very helpful in parts work that when you do that you kind of give them like a body and an age right and you think about yourself or mm -hmm. any child in that body and age feeling those emotions can wake up some heart right yeah it's yeah. kind of a trip sometimes especially if you have another part that's like being hard on a younger part or having some unrealistic expectations about yeah. some way that you think you should have behaved or, you know, should have acted in a certain way um, situation and seeing a movie or even like if you see kids on a playground and you like understand how old they are, it's like, holy shit, that's scary. Like I was really tiny, like young mm -hmm. and that can be really helpful too. And then regulating your own arousal, you know, there's all, there's all types of strategies for triggers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I suppose having like a quiver of those to be like, oh, I need, you know, <laughs> I need to take care of this part, right? I need to feel into the heart of this part. I need to, as an adult, um, regulate myself and my own nervous system, whatever that might be, you know? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like work, but yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's triggered. <laughs> I have opposition in my own being right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, I don't want to say it's work. It's like doing something, but it's also like work that you want to do because it's in service of not necessarily trying to like force a change, but to know that 
you've got things going on with your nervous system and that you need support. And um, I'll share a few things here. And if you have some things that you like, some strategies or some tools that you like, but I've, I've talked to some clients and actually, oh my gosh, I'm getting a Charlie horse in my foot. Oh my God. That really hurts. Um, okay. Ow. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just asked someone um, that I worked with a while ago, like I asked her like what she found most helpful from some of the, the stuff that we did. And if there were any other things that she felt was helpful, um, just because I'm uh, teaching a course right now and I do parts work with my clients in the class. And sometimes afterwards they're having some emotional stuff come up because sure. of the parts work and they'll have other parts that come up that are just like, oh, this again, more of this. Like, are we going to feel this way forever? When is this going to be over? Like, can we already be over and done with the emotional stuff? And then um, another response was something like, um, you know, being really worried about, about attuning and like fucking it up. And if they fucked it up, then, then these parts inside would like never trust them and they would rebel and not be responsive. And, and these two fears sound a little bit like their roots. One is the root in, I guess, was that number five, like being able to manage their own like trigger. I don't remember what number it was, but just being able yeah. to manage being triggered, right. Is one of them. Strong and enough to handle one, negative emotions. Yeah. yeah. It's strong enough to handle negative emotions, which makes sense because so many of my clients are parentified children where they ended up taking care of their parents' emotions so that they could in turn feel safe. Mm -hmm. And they had to get rid of a lot of their own emotions and put right. those aside to take care, to be the strong one. So when it comes to some of these internal things that they're dealing with, they're, they're pushing that down in a way because that was never safe. And perhaps what they saw in their home of origin was just emotional chaos. And so the, the emotions coming up don't feel safe. And they feel like once they start feeling them, they're never going to stop and they're just going to take over and it's just going to be mayhem. Right. But I think the, the other thing is really just understanding that we can have internal ruptures and we can have in, internal repairs too. But um, anyway, I was going to share like some of the tools um, so one thing um, that one of my uh, former clients had mentioned was being able to take a walk in nature was so very helpful just because it's very calming and just being able to walk and get some of that energy out was really useful. Being able mm -hmm. to move with that energy, right? Because when you get into sympathetic stuff, you can have a lot of energy, a lot of anxiety and it's, it's not really going anywhere and you can literally sit on your couch. It's still going to be coursing through your veins, but it can feel better to move. Something else that can be really helpful is literally just feeling the boundaries of your own physical body mm -hmm. and knowing that the emotions are not bigger than you. Like trying to find out where they're located, they can feel bigger than you, but mm -hmm. they're really all created like in the mind and they're, they're energetically they originate in here. And so it's just doing some like squeezing, some mm -hmm. alternating, you know, 
armpit and shoulder stuff, squeeze, squeeze, hugs, just rubbing, you know, presencing, um, getting in touch with your senses. So looking around, noticing details, noticing textures, getting like a hot cup of tea, just feeling heat and cold and just trying to tap into every single one of your senses, putting on some music. And um, also just receiving your own touch can be really, really powerful. Just giving yourself like a little squeeze, a little hug, like you're okay. Um, sometimes sitting on your floor and just hugging yourself and rocking can feel really good. Coherent breathing, just anything where you're slowing your your breath down and your exhale is longer than your inhale. And um, coherent two bells, I think is, uh, is a YouTube video that you can watch. That's a really great resource. And there's a number of different things. Like I even have um, this app called Luna that I like. Um, <laughs> we're not sponsored and like, I just happen to like it, but it has really soothing music and it has these little landscapes you can color and they tell stories and there's just, they're just really wonderful for your nervous system. And there's a number of things that you can really do that can help you to feel better and whatever you like that helps you feel better. And you can think about holding the hand of that emotion and invite it to feel better without demanding that it change and without mm -hmm. demanding that it not be what it is. Right. Uh, so one of the things I like you said, an idea that I played around with it is <laughs> in my mind's eye, I step back a little bit and I think that the, the big thing that I'm feeling that does feel very overwhelming and it's bigger than my sense. I step back just a little bit and I just kind of see my body from just like, you know, six inches behind me and mm -hmm. say that all of that is just happening in here. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little perspective. And that that was really play, fun to play around with. And I played around with that for like a few weeks. It's kind of strange how these tools, at least in my mind, they, they seem very effective, but then they seem to like drift away. You know, it's like, I don't know if it's like being deconstructed by my brain or whatever's happening. You mean but, like just trying to remember it in the moment? Yeah, that it seemed like very prescient. It was like a thing I was using over and over, but then it was like, oh, I forgot I had mm. that tool. Right. And I, I think that's because when we get triggered we go into a different part of our brain and the blood flow changes and what we have yeah. access to changes. And right. so literally what I have done, like I used to have a checklist. I don't know if we spoke about this. I had a checklist up in my loft because when my, when I first was really feeling into my anxious attachment, I made a list of the, the steps that I needed to go through mm. to like check myself before I wrecked myself right. <laughs> with anxiety yeah. And it was like, step one, like check your assumptions is what you're making up in your mind. Can you mm -hmm. prove it? Is this really happening? What are your interpretations? And like, I teach this to you and I don't even know where I, I don't know where I got this from. I don't know if I invented it. I just don't know. I am part of it. It was something that I do on airplanes. Cause I used to get a little scared around flying and <laughs> And it maybe does not sound like the best bit of advice, but it works really well for me. And also the fact that I have an Enya playlist that I really like. <laughs> I fall asleep too. But it's recognizing that I'm not the pilot. I'm like, I'm not the pilot. I have zero control over flying this plane. Like I am a passenger. I have a seat and a fucking seatbelt. That's it. 
what am I going to do? You know, am I going to, what do I, can I fly a plane? No. Can I like, what am I going to do? I think what might be most helpful for everyone is my relaxed, calm energy. And so I just give myself permission that ever, if there ever is a crisis and the plane is doing a nosedive or whatever, I give myself pull, full permission to freak the fuck out fully and do whatever craziness I'm going to do if and when that happens. But the deal that I have with myself is until that's actually happening, I will just relax and enjoy myself. And I love traveling now. I love it. I love it. I love it because I do that. So I jokingly say, if you want to enjoy flying, just, you know, face death, just face your death. Just know it's out of your control. It's out of your hands. You step on the plane, which is probably not helpful maybe for most people, but just reminding myself, I'm not the pilot in that situation. But when it comes to our own triggers, we definitely are the pilot. When you mentioned the list thing, I was started to think and feel into it, which I probably have to get a list. Um, because I think that some of my triggers go into a pretty strong dissociation, mm-hmm. right? Like I guess like it's like a dorsal, but it's like just spacey, spaciness and confusion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a tough one for me just because <laughs> I think that I can exist in some forms of that, you know, for quite a while sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'll, I'll start to, like, just notice, like, you know, oh, I haven't done anything or I'm just, you know, spacing out on YouTube a ton, you know, like, I can, I'll snap out of it, but I can, you know, that's, that, that is a tough one to, like, soothe yeah. out of, you know? Yeah, I think when you're going into that, like, freeze dorsal state, which is, yeah, like, kind of dissociating, if you recognize it, of course, that's, like, a big help to know when you're going there because usually you have to go through sympathetic to get to that. Meaning there were other signs of your energy starting to tank generally before that ever happened. Likely. Right. Yeah. Isn't it arousal though? Like freeze is a high energy state, right? Isn't it? Low. It's like energy. It's It's at the bottom. Oh. The ladder, the polyvagal ladder, it's at the bottom. Freeze is like isolation, depression, immob- it's immobilization. So that's like an energy conserving state. And it was um, animals use it to numb or to hide or freeze. So it's it's actually using minimal energy it's the opposite of a high energy state which would be the sympathetic which is one step up of one step up on the ladder and you have to move through those states like you go from freeze to to fight flight to connection and calm and belonging so it goes this way and then there's blended states too but you also go down the ladder that way too and you can jump like pretty quickly like you could go into freeze pretty fast but understanding and and making some maps of your own triggers and the things that trigger you you can plan for your triggers and then create a, a plan for yourself based on an action plan 
based on what happens and you can decide what works for you and what might work for you if you feel like you're going into freeze is to just start making small movements like blinking your eyes a lot like moving your head a little bit just starting to like try to invite movement that way it can be a useful thing you can make your own list and like put it on the wall and like i don't know have reminders on your phone or something when i was thinking about the self-soothing it's like if i get into an opposition because you know i definitely think that i am triggered by my own emotional states absolutely Mm -hmm. all the time one of the one of the ways that's worked a few times and it's not every time because it's not every time i like it necessarily have access to it but it's <laughs> so there will be the opposition there will be the original part then there will be the opposition then they're just stuck in this like you know war essentially that is very uncomfortable um to get back to the original thing the thing that is like uh I have used like just emoting. So it started off by just like I would talk in the car. So I, I was no, knew that I have some feelings. So then I would just begin to like speak in the voice of that thing, right? But in the car, it's safe. And I could really let it like let it rip a little bit, right? Just say the words, same real, same real with as much emotion as there. And there's a ton of emotion, right? Mm. When I started to do that, like, <laughs> It's interesting because it's like it's kind of a thing that like you do it a little bit. There's not much there. You do it a little bit more and you just even just making sounds sometimes of to get to crying. Right. I would just start to go like, yeah, you're like, ah, uh, 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 uh. I would just start making noises. And it's just like it starts off just like as a trickle. Right. So I've done this with like speaking and, and, and like on a narrative with certain ones it worked really well for angry parts. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I knew that like, there was like r- some real sorrow inside of me, I would just do that. I would just like make noises. And they, would, they wouldn't sound like crying at, at first, but I just stuck with it a little bit. And it's like this, it moves like a millimeter and then another millimeter. And then it's like just opening up this faucet. Right. And then once it starts going, once it starts to come and it's just like, whoa, and it, you can relieve some of that pressure. It can, like, get rid of some of, some of the, like, the fight, you know, because there's always the part that just, like, get mm. everything fucking out of here. Just get everything. Right. We don't want anything. We just want to go back to normal. This is all bullshit, right? You have the hose, and then the part of you that's like, nope. Yeah. Not happening. <laughs> yeah. So that's not, a, that's not a straight soothing thing, but sometimes, you know, when I get caught – in in my uh, emotional triggers of triggers, right? My emotions are triggering me. That can last that way for days. It's usually about a, like three days to a week mm-hmm. is what I'll be in for. And so, you know, there's there's definitely some soothing, and uh, you know, I it's a lot. Of, it's I try things. I try is mostly like about self talk, right? Mm-hmm. About not trying to be embody my parents voice or my critic voice or my know-it-all voice but it's it's about embodying that uh voice of compassion and curiosity if i can muster it right yeah i think part of the challenge is that in our society we're so very analytical and intellectual like we just do a lot of 
mental exercise and strategizing instead of intimacy, which is really just connecting to our felt sense, connecting to our being with, yeah, being with, and then like sharing from that place. And there's always a temptation, I think, just because I believe this is how we're indoctrinated to approach ourselves, I think, in some way. And that's by trying to use the analytical mind to solve our emotions as if they're Mm -hmm. problems Mm -hmm. to be solved, which if you look at any child, you know, that's crying, you could say what's wrong, but they may not know. Mm -hmm. And so often with our emotions, the emotions are there. They have their own way of expression but they're not thinking in a linear, organized, rational fashion. They're just like, I have feelings because I have feelings. I don't know what I'm feeling, right? And instead of following the temptation to try to fix or analyze or figure out or Rubik's cube what's happening, the more empowering, generative, helpful thing for these emotions is just to say, I feel you, I I hear you, and I will be here holding space for you. I don't need to fix you. I don't need to change you. And when you're ready, I'm listening. It's not getting these emotions, you know, backing them into the corner and being like, you better tell me what's going on right now so I can fix this right away, yeah. right? Which Shut which up, I be a little brat which I think is some energy that we can inadvertently bring to ourselves and our own emotions where it's like, uh Oh, I'm feeling this thing. I need to do something with it. I need to fix this right now. I need to solve it so I can keep this from happening. And often it's just a part of you that needs to cycle that needs to express that maybe it just needs to be heard and it doesn't want to be fixed. It doesn't want a solution. It's just like in relationships. It's like, do you want me to listen? Or do you want a solution? And I think mostly Mm. it's, I would like you to listen first. And if I need a solution, I'll ask you for it. You know what I mean? Uh, It makes me think about this thing. I think I saw the other day, some mother talking about her baby crying, you know, and that there was like five distinct cries, you know. Mm. (laughs) It was like, you know, the scared cry, the hungry cry, the hurt cry, the, you know, and it was just all, you know, obviously a cry is a cry, but it's all very analog, right? Like, like a, it's just straight feeling, you know, and that she could respond hmm. just in the way that she needed to. Well, that's very attuned and right. wonderful. If she's able to identify the difference, right? Yeah, just by the feeling, right? Wow. Yeah, wow. That's that's like very attuned. I'm like, I'm impressed. Well, just think if that's like the basis, though. It's just like everything else is just like an abstraction off that very thing, you know? It's like, right, just cries. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Actually, listening and responding like from the heart or the gut as opposed to, I got a crack to say, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got to, I got to figure this out or I'm going to do all these things and try to figure out instead of listening to this and connecting from here. Yeah, um, I had one other thing I was was going to say, and I can't remember it. It's in there. I can see it. It's right 
I think you're talking about my um, my artificial lens, that thing you see glinting in my eye. Um, well, there there was a question about also clients that they were like the the fact that there are other parts that can okay <laughs> like how do I say this so we have like our you know in parts work internal family systems yes where it's the capital S self it's like the part of us that's really like the the witness or the observer that is really is compassionate is curious and then when we have some opinions about like other parts of ourselves, then it's it's usually a different part that has an opinion about another part. You know, it's like we're observing these personalities and conversations that are happening within us, but that which we observe is actually not really us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right, which started to get really trippy. It's like, I am the thing that is observing, but if I'm able to listen and we can become very identified with the parts and say, this is me, that's also me. Or I didn't even realize that that is not me because I just believed that I am all these perspectives and personalities, which a lot of people do. And I, I think it's something that's pretty easy to take for granted that we are the dialogue that's in our heads, right? And so the trick is when we become triggered by our own emotions, there's likely a part that is having the emotion and another part that is stepping in, whether it's a critic or a protector or a firefighter, that's like, no, (laughs) like bitch slapping that down, right? Because it's the, um, the emotion and then the reaction to that emotion, So if it's a triggered reaction, anything aside from compassionate curiosity, which I think Dr. Gabor Mate talks about all the time, then we have to suspect that it's another part that is having feelings about the feelings. (laughs) Right? I absolutely agree with that perspective, right? Mm -hmm. But it also makes me think about coming to that place, right? Because I would say, like, you know, six or seven years ago, like, listening to what you just said, and I would be like, what in the fuck are you talking about? Yes. Yeah. Because, like, this, like, my experience of myself, it's just like, there's only one me, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, And in the language that we use now, it was like, all of the parts that I see now that seem to stick around some very specific feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't have those edges before. So I, so then the, the language we use now is enmeshment, right? That those triggers still existed inside or of me. identification. Identification. That I was identified with these things. So I would get myself in all kinds of different emotional situations and have a very wide spectrum of like, I'll act this way, I'll act that way. And, you know, 
especially in intimate relationships, you know. And, and I would, like, scratch my head and be like, God, that went... That followed the same exact sort of tune and pattern as last time, you know. Like, there was lots of times when I definitely felt kind of crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah, like, why do I feel this it. way or what's coming up or I don't understand? Like, yeah, you know, or, or it'd be like... I just got myself out of that relationship. I know because I just did it, worked really hard to get out. And now all I can think about is I want, I want to go back. Like that's all that I want in the world. And I know because I was just there that when I get over there, I'm going to want to be here. What the fuck is this used to happen to me when I would be like, I was, remember I was like living at my parents' house and I would be invited to go to town. But I knew if I went to town, I would want to be at home. But if I was at home, I'd want to go to town. And I said, "There's n- it's a no-win situation for me. I'll hate whichever direction I go. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, it's just like absolutely <laughs> maddening, right? So disorganized. Yeah, but also it's like the strat. well, the, the coping strategy or part of you is. Right. So, trying- but that there is, but there that there is ways to begin to think about some of these things and to begin to experience some of these things that kind of starts to pull out little threads. And when you start to like pull on the threads and experience the threads and they can get a little bit of space, that's when these idea of the parts work can kind of start to come together, right? Yeah, I mean, we even talked about this on an earlier podcast, but I think we did where I was talking about being identified with a certain part and I did not even realize I was so identified with this part that I couldn't really see it until another part started yelling at it, which I know sounds totally bonkers for people that haven't like done any of this work, but it's like, I almost think of it, you know, when people talk about having the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, Right. It's something like that when you have like an internal argument or there's something going on inside where, you know, like you were talking about, like I, I fought so hard to get out of this relationship and now that I'm out of it, all I want is, is back in. Like, you know, there's, there's conflict and it's happening inside and it's literally two aspects of our personality that are, that are having a disagreement and, and the, the lack of harmony is within us. And it's because there's a, an internal power struggle happening and, and why that internal power struggle is happening is, is likely due to one part deciding that it knows what's better, best for other parts to keep it safe. And sometimes this part that has been controlling everything and repressing and suppressing and keeping everything tight and like the beach ball underwater eventually becomes tired because when we exhaust our bodies and or maybe use substances where we lubricate to that place of just like not really having um, full of like full control of our faculties, then you see all the stuff that's like in the shadows or these suppressed parts coming mm. up. And then that's why you see different aspects of people's personalities we're like, oh, he's a mean drunk or, you know, even um, when people talk about spirits, alcohol being spirits, right. there's a belief that 
when you drink alcohol, you're inviting demons or spirits to inhabit your body. Right. And, and really so, all that you did was uh, you, <laughs> you made you, the, the strong one just like you lessened its ability to hold its place in your psyche. Right. right? And here so come the other ones. And the other ones come up, right? Right. And really the goal is for us to get these parts to be able to talk. And it is literally like couples therapy, internal couples therapy, or just therapy for two people or more people, or however, if you have a triangle going on inside, like you can, or you can have a bunch of parts that like hate this other part. So it's just, there's so many different configurations. There's as many configurations, I'm sure, as there are people on the planet Mm -hmm. and relationship types and dynamics and things, just because there's so many different aspects of personality. So Um, you mentioned that you didn't know that a part was there until like one argued against it. Yeah. That's wild. I had another part actually call it out and say, you think that this is who you are and it's not. And when that happened, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I was like, oh shit. How, whoa. I was like, of course it was like right there, but it was, it was so weird. It was pretty wild. Yeah. gets into some like uh, pretty interesting conversations about, okay, well, what am I holding on to, right? Mm -hmm. Which one of those are just nice little stories, right? That I just like very comfortably hold on to, right? Right. And yeah, and it's all in the name of safety and, you know, the self quote, self-sabotage is never self-sabotage. It's self-protection. Right. We actually don't really hate ourselves. And even if it appears that we hate ourselves, it's usually like a last ditch effort to save the the human vehicle from expiration. Um, The thing that I I wanted to, that I was gonna say earlier um, that I wanted to address was uh, just something else that had come up. One of the questions that had come up was about this fear of essentially fucking it up with our own parts when we begin to reparent and attune with our parts that if we're not consistent or we don't get it right, then somehow our parts are going to get really angry with us and they're never going to listen to us. They're just going to rebel and wreak all kinds of havoc pretty much. And I just wanted to presence the fact that doing this work and becoming aware of your emotions and your emotional stuff is literally like being handed a newborn when you don't have any experience parenting and you didn't have good parents or whatever. It's very literally like having an emotional baby. And what we can do if we are going to provide ourselves with those six very important things that we outlined is of course, educate yourself on how to take care of yourself and how to love yourself and how to advocate for your emotions and how to lovingly respond to them, but also show up as, as often as you can remember and check in. Right. And there is going to be internal rupture. There's going to be, be perfect. Yeah. You can't be perfect. Parents aren't perfect. People aren't perfect. And if we're willing to show up and apologize to these parts and say, I didn't know, I I had no idea you were here. I'm sorry. And these parts are not going anywhere. 
they have nowhere to go. They feel alone and isolated oftentimes. Sometimes they might have friends with the other parts, but I'm, I'm sure it's, it's almost like, you know, when you consider parents um, that are estranged from their children, I feel like wow, I'm getting like really emotional. <laughs> I'm not sure why exactly, but um, wow. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about, um, you know, if that parent were to ever like turn around and just say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for all the years of this, that, and the other. And now I want to be here. You would still have to show up and establish that relationship and you would have to be accountable and you would still abide by the rules that you, that you would in relationship if you had betrayed someone's trust. Hmm. And you would make amends and you would repair what you had ruptured. And it's absolutely possible. Right. Now, in some cases with parents and their children, they, they fuck up so many times and it's so painful. And, and sometimes the child has to end that relationship or, or vice versa, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just too difficult to heal that or bridge that gap without support. Um, and sometimes it's just not even possible to do in this physical plane during this time because of all the hurt right. and because this uh, parent isn't healthy enough to make amends and to repair because they only know how to rupture. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we will consider that sometimes we aren't just reparenting, that we're learning how to parent and that we can learn and get books and study, but we also need to seek the support of people that have done this work and stand on their shoulders and talk to other people about it mm-hmm. and just know that you're human and that these parts, I'm sure, will hold on to hope that you will turn towards them and reach out. And never, never stop pursuing them. Right. Just patient pursuit and love and care. Yeah. Right. It means a lot to me. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay not... You don't have to be perfect. Just just continue. Yeah, just just keep trying. Just keep trying and do your best and just show up. Yeah. Showing up is worth a hell of a lot. Right. To children and to your internal parts. Mm-hmm. Anything more? I think that's it. Cool. Thanks for hanging out with us. So emotional. <laughs> yeah. It is today. Thank you, Angela. You're welcome. We'll Always see you next time. time. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.